Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Welcome, it's Ken Rundle again, and with me, Philip Cosgrave, Yara's country grassland specialist. We're looking at silage this time, focusing on grassland management and those early nitrogen applications. As usual, Philip, the weather's bound to have upset many a plan, but is it having any particular effects this year? Unlike last year, when February has been a um, was a very dry month and it was a great opportunity for farmers to apply slurry in really good conditions, February has been the opposite in, in most cases. So it has been quite challenging so far this year to, to apply slurry where I suppose and, and farmers um yeah, I suppose in the coming to the, the into into January, late January, early February, slurry stores are are um you know are, are looking pretty full and, and farmers need to get some slurry out. But um I suppose we're coming back off last year, which was quite difficult, um, you know, silage making conditions last year, you know, to catch silage, you know, getting a, a period of weather that it was you know, we we're going to be able to mow the crop and get some wilting. Um, and that was that was a real issue last year. And I suppose in general, silage quality is is um is very mixed from from last year but and i guess when we had a a mild back end and early and, and winter um grasses kind of continue to grow and i suppose this might be a an issue on some first cut silage fields now coming um at, at this time and that there may be a little bit more grass on it than you'd like and um, some farmers will have had the chance to graze that off and i suppose it, it is better if you can have it kind of grazed off coming into the into the end of February, early March, because I suppose there's good evidence to show that if, you know, if there's kind of dead material at the bottom of that sward, and particularly if there's a lot of, um, you know, with the wet winter we've had, that there might be water lying. So, there, you know, you're looking at maybe um, more dead material at the bottom of that sward. And if that's not cleaned up, that's going to impact silage quality come um, May time. So, look, it's, it's not an easy one to, to, to rectify. And grazing conditions for 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 sheep haven't been great over the winter either. But that that's a bit of a worry that you know dead material at the bottom of of um, the sward may impact that quality later on. In these catchy conditions, um, there's a temptation it strikes me for farmers to do things in the weather window. They see the weather forecast and they see something's coming up, and there's the tendency, oh, let's get it done before that. You would argue the opposite for that. No, look, it's it's sometimes maybe a luxury that 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 um, farmers haven't got when it comes to particularly slurry storage. But you know, if if we can, you know, optimize our, our slurry because our slurry is obviously a very valuable source of nutrients, particularly for you know the the the, the peas and k's in it. But you know, if we want to maximize the amount of crop available nitrogen in our slurry and and minimize the environmental the the risk with 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 that slurry. Um, you know, ending up in in waterways. You know, we should be looking at, I suppose, forecasts and field conditions, and that. What you don't want is you don't want to be going out with this, you know, heavy equipment on fields that aren't um, fit to take it at that particular time, and because that ends up causing um, compaction and issues that can last throughout the, the the season. So that's not something we want to do. And also, you know, if, if you apply slurry, if the weather is good today, you know, when you apply that slurry, well, if the weather forecast is saying that there's going to be torrential rain tomorrow and the following day, well, then that's going to create a real risk for that, you know, for runoff of that slurry getting into waterways. So we need to be kind of cognizant of the weather conditions and the soil conditions when, when we're applying these nutrients. As usual, a lot of variables. Well, an added variable can be the intended use of the silage being grown. Um, 
Is it going to be for dairy or beef or young stock? And I've heard it said quality for dairy, bulk for beef. If, if that was ever true, you believe it's less so now because we live in changing times. Certainly for dairy, cattle and, and for growing for growing um, stock, you know, growing beef animals, whether it's young beef animals or whether you're trying to fatten beef animals where you're looking to put um, silage in the diet. But, you know, there is probably a case for if you're, I suppose, maintaining suckler cows um, and if you're not looking to actually just keep them at, at you know, a, a kind of a constant um, weight over the, the winter months, then I suppose you can go for um, more kind of, you know, bulk over quality. Um, but certainly when it comes to the other types of stock, you know, and, and look, it kind of goes without saying for dairy and for, for if you're trying to produce milk from 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 silage, well, then, you know, the best quality silage is is, is certainly the best to, to, to try and make. But when it comes to beef cattle, you know, there's a, I suppose, evidence from trials going back a long number of years on the the benefits of producing quality silage for for growing young cattle or for for beefing cattle. And I guess with this in mind, Ken, and you kind of alluded to this, is this, uh, I suppose, a, a big a big mitigation factor in, in miti- a mitigation factor in reducing greenhouse gas emissions on a farm or from beef is, is finishing um, beef cattle at a, at a younger age. So I guess if we're making uh, poor quality silage and it's taking longer to finish those cattle, well, then that's going to then knock on um, knock into the actual carbon footprint of that beef that's that's being produced. So if we can produce better quality silage and finish those cattle earlier by by basically having better daily live weight gain and carcass gain, well, then that's a, a win win along the supply chain. And it's being increasingly demanded, whether it be dairy companies or beef industry or the beef industries eventual customers they're all putting pressure on the on the primary producer so i suppose it's all got to be taken into account well i I spoke early of nitrogen applications when i began this podcast now bearing in mind what you've been speaking about what are your recommendations in terms of application rates or product when it comes to you know total application rates you know, if we look at NPK and S, in, in for I suppose a um, a first cut silage, um, where you're looking to kind of optimize um, that first cut, you're looking at somewhere between, you know, between 100 and 120 kgs of N per hectare, and that's including both the available N in organic manures or in your slurry and in in, a, in out of a bag. Um, when it comes to phosphate, um, and this is P205, um, you're looking at around about 40 kgs of phosphate. And somewhere in and around about um, for potash, then you're looking at, um, you know, somewhere between 80 and 90 kgs of, of potash. Now, that's that potash recommendation isn't what actually the, the it's, it's it's less than what the offtakes that first silage, first cut silage will be for potash. But um, we have to be careful for first cuts that we we don't apply too much potash and we end up with kind of luxury uptake of potash in the in the um, in your grass. Now, that is only an issue when it comes to silage that's going to be fed to close-up dairy cows that are on the point of calving, so dry cows, and also for the same with, with, with suckler cows. But for silage that's going to be fed to, you know, finishing cattle or for young growing cattle, well, then that, that wouldn't make a difference. But they're the typical kind of potash recommendations. And then I suppose for sulfur, you're looking at somewhere between, you know, 30 and 40 kgs of SO3 per hectare so that's kind of the total you know nutrient requirements but 
I suppose where you're putting slurry on and you're putting, say, between, say, 22 and 33 cubic meters of slurry on for the first cut, which in in, in thousands of gallons, that's about between 2,000 gallons is, is 22 cubic meters and 33 cubic meters would be 3,000 gallons. So if you're putting on those kind of applications of slurry, you know, you'd like those to be going on in February, if, if at all possible, but some of them, depending on where you are, will be going on probably um, up to early March. But then the rest of that then would be topped up with uh, a mineral fertilizer. So if you're looking at um, two or three thousand gallons of slurry, probably be very little. You know, uh, um, you in some instances looking at soil analysis and that you probably would get away with a product like um, Axan. So you'd be looking at applying somewhere around about maybe um, eighty to hundred kgs of Axan, which is somewhere between you know, you know, three hundred and eighty kgs of Axan per hectare. Um, if you haven't got slurry. Um, and you're relying on just bagged fertilizer for that, you know, first fertilization and um, that first cut, you could apply a product like silage booster, which is um, 24.5, 14.5 plus sulfur. So you're looking at somewhere between around about, you know, if you're looking to apply 100 kgs of nitrogen in that case, you'd be putting on around about um, 500 kgs of that silage booster product to fulfill the, the NP and K and sulfur requirements of that crop. You've mentioned, obviously, that how much nutrient come from slurries, but there are one or two things that slurry um, has issues with, uh, or there are issues with, I was thinking particularly of sulphur. There's been some work done, you know, in the past, but some, but, but more recently by Chagask in, in Johnstown Castle, where they were looking at the, the value of applying sulphur in a fertilizer along with slurry. And I suppose before it would have been thought that if you're applying slurry, well, then there's going to be enough sulfur in the slurry, so you don't need any other sulfur source. But looking at the, at the, at the results from that particular work, and I suppose in, from an environmental perspective, they found that you included a sulfur in your nitrogen fertilizer that was being applied in conjunction with slurry that had improved nitrogen use efficiency, increased yields. But I suppose importantly, too, it, it had a major impact in, in reducing uh, nitrate leaching over the course of the year. So we must, I suppose we must remember that um, sulfur in slurry, um, some of the, the available sulfur in slurry is converted to um, hydrogen sulfide, which is then prone to loss when whatever way you're storing your slurry is, is agitated. That basically that hydrogen sulfide is, is given off in, 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 as a gas. And we must remember that's the, the very dangerous gas that's in slurry that we must be careful of. So a lot of your available sulfur actually gets volatilized off. And um, so what you're left with in the slurry is more the sulfur is contained in organic matter. And I suppose that then when it's applied, then takes time for it to break down in the soil, to be mineralized in the soil, to avail, to the crop available form. So this is where it's important with that first cut to get some sulfur, another source of sulfur out there. And it's, it's the easiest way to do this is with your, your, um, with your fertilizer. But, you know, there's certainly from our trials and from looking at, at you know, other trials from other uh, research organizations, you're looking at somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of a yield uh, increase by including sulfur in that first cut. When we spoke just before recording, you raised some interesting points about grass quality and yield, which I think are worth emphasizing for anyone aiming to maximize production from grass. They're obviously well-established facts, but not always remembered. Yeah. And what I, what I did here, Ken, is I just wrote down a couple of things here just to to basically mention them and they're very important i suppose they're very they've been known for a long time but it's no harm just to at, at this time of the year to 
um, for people to re-familiarise themselves with, I suppose, the value of making good quality cider and what that means overall. So I guess um, digestibility would be the most important factor influencing um, silage feed value. And then consequently then um, livestock performance because you're feeding better quality silage, so livestock performance um, improves. So if you look at for, for every 1% increase in, in D value, and this is work that was done where they looked at increasing D value, but then maintaining the same amount of concentrate inputs um, to, on, 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 a, on a dairy herd. They saw that for every 1% increase in, in D value, uh, milk yield increased by 0.37 kgs and, and protein levels increased by, by 0.14 to 0.16 grams per kg. Now, on, when you looked at, I suppose, beef animals, that every 1% increase in D value um, on a 150-day finishing period, um, lifted carcass weight by 21 kilos. So you can kind of extrapolate that out. That's a kind of a significant gain in producing, in feeding good quality silage to finishing cattle. Um, if you kind of look at over, if you're cutting silage, say, a, a silage, you know, from early May to the end of May, like you're looking at, if you look at the, the way grass protein levels drop over that month, it's somewhere in around about, you know, 1.82% of a drop in protein for every week you go on in, in, in May. And that's generally what kind of intermediate type um, varieties in the, that make that, that the sward is, is made up of. And when it comes to D value, that basically every week delay in harvesting in May basically reduces your D value by, by, by 3%. So that's, um, you know, just some headline figures just on, you know, the, the, what happens by, you know, you know, when you're, you're, I suppose, as the, the, um, the plant matures during that month of May and it heads out. And I suppose that fall in digestibility as, um, you know, as the plant becomes stemmier. So there is, it's, as usual, it's attention to detail. And, it, and of course, then the weather's got to cooperate with you on that one. But certainly it, it's very important coming back to the point you were making about efficiency and making the maximum use of grass. Well, this has been another short podcast, Philip, but with some key messages, nevertheless. Look, it's, it's certainly making silage. You know, the weather is a huge part of playing it, as you've mentioned, um, Ken. But I guess to get the... The, the ball rolling is to get that, those initial nutrient applications right, you know, slurry out first. And if you're putting on kind of your fertilizer, then afterwards you should be leaving maybe seven to 10 days. And um, so we'd like to be getting our, our, um, our, our fertilizer on by around about the, the, the middle of March. Um, you know, to allow that fertilizer enough of a growing period, say that to, to utilize that all those nutrients that have been applied. So certainly getting getting the start right and um, getting the nutrient attention to detail with regards to the, the nutrients that are being applied. But then I suppose making silage to suit your system. And it's not always easy to do, but but certainly if you have a plan in place and um it's it's um it's a good starting point. Philip Gosgrave. Thank you very much. Another down-to-earth presentation from Riara's country grassland specialist. And that's all for now. Our next podcast will be in a couple of weeks' time. So join me, Ken Rundle, then. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.